Hi, I'm Nikki, and here's a few things that are coming up here at Crossroads. Our mission is to connect everyone everywhere to Jesus by multiplying leaders, campuses, and churches. And one major way we accomplish that is by having incredible volunteers throughout the week. They are such a crucial part in making what we do here at Crossroads possible on a weekly basis. With over 3,000 people in our services and dozens of ministries happening every week, we need a large team of dedicated people to come together and serve our church. If you're interested in playing a part in reaching our community, head to the atrium after service and learn more about what ministries you can be a part of. Whether you like to serve our little ones or maybe behind the scenes of a camera, there's something for everyone. The information tables are gonna be up the weekends of August 13th and 14th, as well as August 20th first and the 22nd. We need each other to grow and learn how to do life together. If you're interested in becoming a small group leader, join us August 20th or 27th for our leaders training session. You'll leave with all the tools and knowledge to start a great small group in your neighborhood. For more details about these training sessions, you can contact Leah Deicher. Coming up in a few short weeks is our Student Ministries kickoff. We've been preparing all summer long to have an awesome time with our students. If you haven't already heard, our middle school and high school service times have changed. If you're in middle school, your regular service will now be every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. in room TR222. This new time will start August 14th, and that means there is no middle school service on Sunday nights. Our high school services have also changed. Instead of having services on Sunday nights, you'll have services Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. This new schedule will start Wednesday, August 17th. School is starting and we know teachers and students will be back into a routine. And we want you to know that as a church, we're praying for you all to have such a productive year at school and to make a lasting impact on the lives of other teachers and students that you're gonna be seeing day after day. We are behind you and we can't wait to see what God does this year in our schools. For more information on these events and the many others that are happening here at Crossroads, you can check your bulletin or go online to cccgo.com. Why? Why did this have to happen? Is everything going to be okay? Why is it taking so long? What if it's bad? What am I going to do? Please, God, I'm desperate. I just want to welcome you here this morning to Crossroads. If you're a guest with us today, uh, we are thrilled that you're with us. Thanks for carving time out of your weekend uh, to spend a few moments with us uh, as a church. Today we do begin a brand new series called uh, Lost in Translation. And as I was preparing this week, I thought to myself, haven't we all had those moments in our life where we have accidentally stuck our foot in our mouth? You know what I'm saying? 
Well, several years ago, my dad, along with our youth pastor at our home church, led a mission trip to Cuba with several dozen students from our high school ministry. And, and you need to know that the Cuban people love music, all right? And so a bulk of this trip was about performing different songs and singing worship songs in a public environment as a way to kind of draw people in. Now, several months leading up to this trip, uh, the student ministry had prepared for these songs in Spanish so that the Cuban people would understand what they were saying in the different worship songs. Well, about the third day there, all right, they had set up in the capital city of Cuba and downtown Havana, and masses of people started gathering around as there was this growing anticipation for these Americans that were going to perform and sing. I mean, the, the environment was just electric as the stage was being pieced together, and the different speakers were being put up, and the instruments were being put on stage. Well, the pinnacle moment of that musical performance was when our team sang the song, He Loves Me. It's an old 90s worship song. How many of you know what I'm talking about? All right, a few of us in here. Well, the chorus kind of dies down in the middle of the song, and the lead singer says, He loves me. And then there's a backup singer that responds back and, and says, He loves me. All right, I'm not going to sing it for you, okay? All right, just be grateful for that, all right? Well, when they got to that point in the song, all of a sudden, all the Cuban people just went ballistic. I mean, they were laughing uncontrollably. Now, in Spanish, the phrase, he loves me, is me ama, all right? And so that was what the lead singer said. But unfortunately, the backup singer apparently did not attend too many rehearsals, and he wasn't too up on his Spanish, and he responded by saying, me ama manto, all right? And so there in front of hundreds of Cubans, all right, with his arms held high, this 20-something white American male with an intent look on his face, just surrendering to God before all these Cubans confessed that he still loved to breastfeed. <laughs> and no, that was not me, all right? Uh, and so the English translation of that song would have gone like this, he loves me, I love to breastfeed. So I thought we could just sing it together as a church, all right? Now, hundreds of people came to know Jesus that day. Now, obviously, somewhere along the way, there was a loss in translation from one language to the next, right? I mean, what that guy intended to say wasn't necessarily what people heard, and and you see, when a disconnect takes place between different relationships in which we're trying to communicate, when a disconnect happens, that's when confusion and frustration has a tendency to build up. Again, what is said isn't always necessarily what's received. And we train our kids to know this at a very early age, right? I mean, growing up, my mom and dad, if they said it once, they said it a million times. Patrick, it's not what you say, but it's... How you say it, exactly. And so again, different connections that we have in our relationships is completely contingent upon how we communicate. And so the idea behind this new series, Lost in Translation, it's gonna go back to this idea of how we learn to communicate with our creator on a consistent basis. And so what we're gonna do for the next several weeks is we're gonna learn how to connect with God by looking at a book in scripture called Psalms because Psalms in the Bible serves as kind of like a language guide for us when it comes to connecting with, with our God. 
Now understand that for thousands of years, for thousands of years, men and women have used the book of Psalms as a way to learn the language that God desires most. All right, so all throughout this book, you, you might read one chapter and it's to be a song that is to be sung. And then you get to the next chapter and it's more like a journal entry that someone has written out expressing their deep frustration and emotion before God. Now, what I love about the book of Psalms is that you read certain things in this book and you may, your first reaction to say, can I even say that? I mean, can I question God in that manner? And yet this is why I love the Bible. Is the Bible is so real. The Bible is genuine and raw. And you see, when we read the book of Psalms, we walk away realizing that we do not serve a weak God who is insecure. We do not serve a God who does not like the questions that we ask. We can come before him with honest emotions, with our realities, and, and he, he's not intimidated by that. You do not have to walk around on eggshells when you approach the God of this universe. He, he can handle it. And so the book of Psalms is kind of back and forth and a little bit up and down. One psalm might be talking about how we are to rejoice in the presence of God. And it's a call to look back and look at all that God has done on our behalf. And then you get a few verses later and it's like you're reading a suicide note. And the, the writer is questioning, God, are you even there? Do you even exist? And, and so it's very inconsistent in that way. Now, the book of Psalms is kind of like eating a hot pocket, all right? Now, when you pull a hot pocket out of the microwave and you take a bite for the first time, it's like lava is in your mouth. But then you take that second bite and you can't even get your teeth through because it's an ice cube. You know what I'm saying? And so in a way, that's kind of how the book of Psalms is, is that it seems to be very inconsistent back and forth. And so throughout this series, it's our desire and it's our prayer to not only be known by our creator, not to not only be known by God, but to know him more deeply. And so if you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and jump to the new, uh, not New Testament, Old Testament book of Psalms, all right? And uh, Psalms is in the uh, halfway point in your Bible, just Half, open up your Bibles halfway and it should be right there, all right? It's right in between the books of Proverbs and Job. If you don't own a Bible, there's a black Bible right in front of you. That's our gift to you. If you're worshiping with us back in the chapel, uh, it's right on that table as you walked in a moment ago. Now today, what we're gonna be doing is looking at uh, Psalm chapter six. Now realize that uh, there is no other language that we're gonna look at in this series that seems to get lost in translation more than what we're gonna to study today. And so today, what, what we're gonna do is we're gonna see how waiting on God can actually draw us to God. Now, the idea of waiting, if we're honest, seems boring and lifeless. I mean, isn't communication an active action, that, a proactive action that we take? I mean, sometimes. But you see, communication is more than that. I mean, everything that we do or don't do, everything that we say or don't say communicates something. And so as we study Psalms in this series, I want us to remember this one thing, that when it comes to connecting with God, connection is about posture and words. So it's not all about words and it's not all about posture. Sometimes connection is a combination of both of those things. 
And so during those moments where we feel like that we are waiting on God, when it seems as if he has overlooked our circumstances, all right, and, and we're, we're neither talking nor hearing from him, could it be that something is still being communicated here? I mean, is it possible that, that waiting is more of a posture than it is words? And so let's pick up in verse 1 of Psalm chapter 6. Here's what we read. It says this. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. Now, this specific psalm was written by a man named David, all right? At one point in David's life, he was the king over all of Israel. And this text is what's known as a, uh, as a penitentiary psalm, a penitential psalm. Now, that simply means that this is a psalm where the writer is expressing deep anguish over his circumstances, over his, over his predicament, all right? And so what David does here is he expresses not only grief, but his need to be rescued in the moment. Now, let's be honest here for, for just a moment. I mean, is there anything more frustrating than wanting to talk to somebody, than needing to connect with someone and being told to wait or to be put on hold? I mean, I have never met that person who said, I love it when I call my internet company and I am put on hold and subjected to listen to cheesy music and ads for 30 minutes before I can talk to somebody. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that is really frustrating. And you see, marketing experts know this. I mean, what's that one simple question that the Italian guy with a phone held up to his ears asked in every Verizon wireless commercial? Come on, blurt it out. Can you hear me now? Exactly. From 2002 to 2011, all right, Verizon wireless grew exponentially by asking one simple question that really spoke into the pent-up frustration of everybody who owns a phone. I mean, when you want to talk to somebody, when you want to communicate, the last thing you want to do is to be put on hold or is to wait or to somehow be disconnected. And so when it feels as if God has, has put us on hold, when maybe the silence seems deafening in our circumstances, I want us to remember, remember just a few things that we can pick up from David's words here in Psalm 6. The, the first reminder is this, that, that where there is no vulnerability, there is no intimacy. Where there is no vulnerability, there is no intimacy. As David penned the words of this psalm, we know that he was in distress. More than likely, it was a health issue that had lasted so long, all right, that it began to affect his mental health. And, and so David openly and honestly expressed his frustration towards God's lack of intervention in his circumstance. I mean, David didn't hold back here. I mean, he felt as if God had been rebuking him and disciplining him. Look at what he says in verses six and seven. David writes, I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. All right, so, so feelings we see here can at times be, be pretty misleading. I mean, emotions are deceptive. We've all heard that before, making it pretty difficult for us to determine what's genuine, what's true, and, and what's false, what seems to be an illusion. This is why the Bible reminds us that the heart is deceptive above all things and is beyond cure. And so was God punishing David in anger? Was he disciplining him here? Now, we don't really know, to tell you the truth. But you see, that, that's not really the point. 
You see, emotions for us are kind of like mushrooms. The more you keep them in the dark, the bigger and stronger they get. You see, insanity happens for all of us when we repeatedly suppress how we feel with no healthy outlet. You see, over time, our emotions can get bigger and bigger and bigger, and all of a sudden, we start believing them, and then we start acting on them. Now, we may not say it out loud, but sometimes when we suppress how we feel or we clean up our emotions when talking about them, we are choosing to be independent, believing that we have the power within us, within ourselves, to deal with them. Instead, as we see here, it's okay to vent to God. You do know that, right? It is okay to vent to God, even if what we're saying isn't rooted in reality. You see, God invites us to express how we feel. And for David, his vulnerability displayed surrender. We have no idea if David experienced healing after this moment, but one thing David did experience is the very same thing that we all encounter when we humble ourselves before God and we pray. It's this, that more than prayer changing God's mind, it can change how we view our circumstances, right? You see, prayer has the potential to draw us closer to God. And you see, honesty in our conversations with our creator allows us to see more than just how God is in the midst of our circumstances. No, our vulnerability actually provides us an opportunity to see our circumstances from God's perspective. Author Brennan Manning writes it like this. He says, healing our image of God heals our image of ourselves. And you see, the best way to have a more accurate view of God is to see things from his vantage point, which begins and it happens when we pray. I mean, getting honest with our brokenness and pain will always open the door for, for God to cover us with his grace. And my experience has been that getting vulnerable is difficult, it's messy, it's not always natural, it's not always what we wanna do, it's sometimes embarrassing. Yet could it be, yet could it be that vulnerability is the place where we can find freedom and rest? You see, closeness with God happens when we talk with him about what brings us fear. Intimacy happens when, when we confess the very thing that is the root of our guilt and shame. It's about dragging to light the questions that weigh us down. Now, typically, we're afraid to uncover these doubts and questions that we have towards God. I mean, perhaps you would never talk with God like David does here in this moment. I mean, you think that's just a little bit disrespectful. But I want to remind you something that David all throughout history is known as a man after God's own heart. Now, David did not have closeness with God because he never sinned. Do you know that he, was referred, that he is an adulterer and a murderer? Now, it can be argued that David was a man after God's own heart because over time he learned, he learned in his seasons of waiting what it meant to be honest and vulnerable with God. And so I just have to ask you today, what if, what if God is just waiting for you to be honest and vulnerable with him? God, why did you allow us to have a Down syndrome child? Or God, I don't even know if you exist, and if you did, I just can't wrap my mind around the fact that you formed this world in six days, and let alone you brought a dead man back to life. I mean, that's just a little bit tough to grasp. Or God, every time I go in for a pregnancy test and I see that it's negative, it just makes me think that you have completely rejected all that we've been praying for, and I just feel a little bit overlooked. You ever had that conversation before? 
I have many times. And you see, each time I get vulnerable and brutally honest with God, beforehand, I want to suppress it. I want to avoid it because somehow, at the end of the day, I believe that God can't handle it. But you see, what I'm learning is that more than lacking vulnerability in those moments, I am lacking an accurate view of who God is because at the end of the day, honestly, I think that God just can't really handle all my mess and all my issues. And so the invitation to be vulnerable with the God of the universe is an invitation for us to not only experience freedom, but for us to see how great and mighty and strong our sovereign Lord is. Let's pick back up uh, in our text, check out verses three and four. David says, my, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Now, obviously, David is pleading for deliverance from his circumstances here. It appears that, that his pain has, has spread to his soul. That, that phrase, deep anguish, conveys this idea of being terrified or deeply disturbed for a long season of time. You see, David was suffering from deep depression. And so this leads us to our next reminder when we're told to wait. And it goes like this, that where there is no desperation, there is no deliverance. Where there is no desperation on our part, there, there is no deliverance. David's circumstances seemed to be overwhelming and defeating. His pain was crushing. Yet David didn't run. No, instead he went before the sovereign God who holds all things together and he pleaded for deliverance. Now, I'll be honest with you for, for just a moment. When life seems overwhelming for me, my first response is, is not to pray. <laughs> I've told you guys before that for the past 12 years or so, I struggle on and off with anxiety and depression, and I can usually sense it when it's near in me. And so when I sense that it's, it's near, I, I typically want to suppress it. I want to control it. I want to manage it myself. I have to tell you that my first response isn't to just go and ask for help. My first response isn't to, to go and, and pray and, and bring it before God. That, that's not what I'm naturally wired to do. Our family recently uh, moved to a new home across town, and uh, in the midst of the chaos of the move, I just got to tell you that, that cutting our grass wasn't top on my priority list, all right? I mean, you know that the grass needs to be cut whenever your new neighbor comes over to your house, knocks on your front door, and says, hey, can I cut your grass for you? <laughs> now, I'm from Kentucky, all right? And if I look out the back window and I can still see my golden retriever, the grass doesn't need to be cut. And so last Sunday, I borrowed a friend of mine's tractor. I uh, was mowing our front yard when all of a sudden my rear tire sunk down into a soft spot in the yard. And, and next thing I know, my tires are spinning, all right? Now, evidently, there was some water uh, beneath the blades of grass that I couldn't see, but I was stuck. And, and so I did what a lot of you would have done in that situation, okay? I just, I gunned it even harder, and I'm... Then slamming it into reverse, trying to get it. And then all, I'm swaying my body weight back and forth and back as if that's going to really do something, all right? <laughs> but it was right on the property line of our new neighbor. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what in the world is going on here? I mean, mud is just flying everywhere and I am really stuck. Now, I have to tell you that my primary concern in that moment was not how am I going to get this tractor unstuck and return it to my friend, all right? My primary concern in the moment was, man, I hope nobody from church drives by and sees me doing this. <laughs> and so about 15 minutes later, the tractor's about three feet into the ground at this point. 
I finally get the bright idea, you know what, I need to humble myself, knock on our front door and get my wife to help me here. And so we pull my car around and we get the tow straps out and uh, which by the way, that's a benefit of marrying a girl from Kentucky is tow straps. She knows how to use them. It's just passed from one generation to the next, all right? And so within a matter of a few moments, the the tractor is unstuck and I go on finishing up uh, the yard and, and get the grass cut. Now, why was it that my first reaction was not to ask for help? Because if it was, then I could have gotten unstuck a lot sooner. And you see, some of us, we feel like we're a little bit trapped, right? I mean, I don't know what it is that you're dealing with. I don't know what it is that you came in here with today, but, but you just feel like you're spinning your tires and, and you're going nowhere. And, and, and the more you do it, the more desperate you feel. But you see, whenever we try to get ourselves unstuck, whenever we try to control those cir- circumstances, what ends up happening is our tires get deeper and deeper and deeper into the ground and, and it leaves us more stuck than we were to begin with. Look again at the question David asked in verse three. He said, how long, Lord? How long? It's such a simple question, isn't it? But it's a question that that begs for deliverance. And the reality is, haven't we all asked that question before when we have felt stuck in a season of waiting? I mean, how much longer, Lord, will, will the chemotherapy last? I mean, how much, how much longer will I struggle with, with comparing myself with, with others? I hate that I do it, but I feel like I have no control over it. Or, or how long until the fear of something bad happening to my children no longer consumes my thoughts throughout the day? You see, it's in our times of waiting that our desperation sets us up to go before the God who's referred to in Scripture as the great deliverer. And what's interesting is that David knew that God specialized in delivering his people from troubling circumstance. He had experienced it firsthand. Look at what David declared earlier in his life, 2 Samuel chapter 22. He says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. And you see, this last phrase right here, in whom I take refuge, is really key because what this describes is is our response during our seasons of waiting. You see, declaring God as our deliverer means that we must intentionally choose to take refuge in him and him alone. Notice right here that David does not say that he takes refuge in his role as king of Israel. He doesn't say that he takes refuge in his natural leadership abilities or his charisma. He doesn't take refuge in in his government or his country. No, when David got stuck in the ditch of life, he learned to take refuge in God alone. And you see, when we're desperate for deliverance, there's something about it that reveals how quickly we have trained ourselves to take refuge in other things. I mean, when you feel lonely, you all of a sudden feel this need to go out and buy more stuff to distract you from the pain of it? When you feel rejected, you go out of your way to validate yourself in front of other coworkers? You see, our hope and trust is in the thing or the person that we lean on when we feel desperate. And when we fail to train ourselves to lean on Jesus, we will only find ourselves messier and more stuck with time. 
Now, as Jesus' followers, he told us that we're the light of the world and the purpose of light can only be utilized if it invades dark spaces. And let's be honest, our community has a lot of dark spaces in it. Our nation right now has a lot of darkness. Law enforcement officers and African Americans in our city both feel very vulnerable right now. And so as a church, how can we be the light in such desperate times? Now, we don't have all the solutions But what we can do as followers of God, of Jesus, is to call upon the one who does. And so this Wednesday from 7 to 8 p.m. in the chapel, we're going to host what's called a night of prayer for community reconciliation just from 7 to 8 p.m. back in the chapel. And we want to invite you to be a part of this, all right? And we're simply going to gather together as the church to pray for our law, law enforcement in black communities so that we can be a light and so that we can go before the one who can provide healing where there is brokenness. And so I just want to invite you to make every effort uh, to be there for this, again, this Wednesday, 7 to 8 p.m., back in the chapel. Now let's finish up with with Psalm 6 and skip down to verses 8 through 10, okay? David kind of turns a corner in his writing. He says, away from me, all of you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. And so David wrote with such a confidence that God had heard him that he knew he would eventually be delivered. And so that brings us to our last reminder, when our impatience with God grows during our seasons of waiting, where there is no listening, there is no leading. Or there is no listening, there is no leading. You see, David maintained a posture of listening during this season. He remained still when he wanted to move on. He was vulnerable when it would have been easier for him to have covered over things. And truthfully, I have no idea what this looked like for David to have heard from God. Was it an audible voice? Was it a nudge in his gut or his heart? We don't really know. But the how is not the point. You see, The more desperate he was, the more David listened. And you see, God tends to lead people who possess a steadfast determination to listen and respond to him. You see, people who are led by God are always content to simply be with God. In his book, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, author Peter Cesaro talks about how there are stages of progression when it comes to our communication with God. And, and it goes so- somewhat like this, that in our prayer life, we, we kind of begin talking at God, and then over time, we, we learn how to talk actually to God, to our Father. And then we get to this point where, where we find ourselves actually listening and responding to God. He then makes the case that the, the culmination of intimacy with God is when you and I are just satisfied with being with God. Now, being with God is about just enjoying his presence day in and day out. It's about relishing in the identity that we've been given because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so being in the presence of God is not just about what you experience here on the weekend, but it's a daily reality for all of us who have the spirit of God living inside of us because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Now, what's interesting here is that those who like to be with God also listen to God. It's almost like these two are interchangeable. I mean, after all, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and I listen to them and they follow me. Samuel was a guy back in the Old Testament whom God used to communicate on on behalf of, of him. I want you to check out the very first moment that God spoke to Samuel. 
says this in, in 1 Samuel 3. Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was, verse four. Then the Lord called Samuel. Now notice that God didn't call Samuel until he was still and waiting and lying down. But then we're told that, that God actually called Samuel's name three different times. And each time, Samuel mis, uh, mistakenly took that voice to be someone else, to be a guy named Eli. Now, it wasn't until Eli said, Samuel, go and lie down, because it's apparent that God is actually calling you, that it is the voice of God that you're hearing. So go and lie down. And if he calls to you again, simply say this. And so here's how Samuel responded when we see that God called him. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Now, this was a turning point in Samuel's life when God set him apart to reach a lost and dying world. Now, here's the thing. More than hearing an audible voice, Samuel was available. He was there. And you see, that's what God is after in all of us. And so is it possible that the purpose for our seasons of waiting is so that we can know how God wants to lead us in the future? Now, one way that we sense God leading our church in the future, and we've talked about this before, is that we will become one church with multiple locations across uh, the region. Three months ago, I stood up here and we talked about this, and, and I said that our second physical site, uh, in addition to our Newburgh campus here, will be located on the west side of Evansville. We're going to call it Crossroads West. Now, I also understand that, uh, you know, a lot of us have encountered a lot of change and transition here in, the, in our church and, and, and grabbing a hold of a new vision and adopting a new vision. It just seems a little bit too much for us right now. And I just want you to know that on behalf of the elders, when it comes to implementing this vision, all right, we are going to move as fast or as slow as we need to and as, and as God leads, provides, and guides us. Right, but I want you to know that in the midst of all this change that, that we've experienced as a church, that we hear you. And we know it's, it's hard. We know it's difficult. And we know that it, it almost seems like a new normal. And I think for all of us in here, it's a really good opportunity for us to practice what it means to run to Jesus who promised us that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we're really excited about Crossroads West. We don't have a specific location yet. And, and Crossroads West will be for those of us who commute from Poseyville, from New Harmony, Mount Carmi, Mount Vernon, and, and, and the west side, all right? And, and the purpose of this is to give you greater accessibility to Jesus and his church, all right? Now, here's what I'm getting at. We need you to help us listen to God more effectively and more frequently, all right, we do not have a specific location nailed down yet for our West Campus. Now, we thought we had a location, but things kind of fell through at the last minute, and so now we're back to the drawing board, and that's okay. We're, we're just anticipating that God has something greater and better for us, but we don't have a location yet for this campus. And so even in spite of the fact that you may disagree with this vision, if you have questions about it, if you just can't get on board yet, if you're skeptical, here's one thing I want you to join us in right now today. Will you pray Will you pray for God to open up a location for us? I mean, will you pray for, for God to lead us to the exact property, the exact building, the exact location of where he wants this campus to meet? Because you know what? As leaders, we need discernment and wisdom in this. We need you 
to help us listen so that we can respond to the leading of God. And, and how cool would it be if one month from now, if we, after four weeks, gathered together as a church to pray about a location opening up, we could stand up here and say, hey, you know what? We have a location identified. We have it nailed down. Some doors opened. And, and I think we could point back to this weekend and say, well, it began when we started praying together as a church and God came through in a big way. Now, we're almost done, all right? And as I prepared for this message this week, ironically, I kept struggling with this idea of waiting. It just wouldn't come fast enough for me. You know what I mean? And then on late Thursday evening, I had this thought that God doesn't need to test us to know about us because he already knows us. That God doesn't need to test us to know about us. Why? Because he already knows us. Right. And so more than anything, what if waiting is simply about knowing that God is good, that he is trustworthy, and in spite of our circumstances, he is a good father that we can lean on. Dieter Zanders, the former worship pastor at a church that Crossroads is affiliated with in the Chicagoland area, at the peak of uh, Xander's career, he, he was well known as he was frequently asked to speak and, and lead worship at various gatherings all throughout the country. It's been said that Xander would lead worship with so much passion and vigor that he would actually leave blood on the keyboard on stage because he would get cracked fingernails after leading people in worship. You see, Xander loved people. Xander was a pastor. He he had a big following. People loved him because he devoted time and energy to them. And one night when, when Xander was in his late 40s, he began to shake violently out of nowhere. After being rushed to the hospital and running lots of tests, it was apparent that, that he had suffered from a massive stroke in the left hemisphere of his brain. Six days later, Xander finally woke up, but in a very different condition. He could no longer communicate as he had. It took him a long time just to learn how to say the name of his wife and of his son. His right arm was completely limp. Zam Xander would no longer be able to do what he loved most in this world, and that was to, to lead people and worship the music, the words, all the instrumental abilities that he had were just, that used to be second nature to him, were now just merely trapped inside his head. Well, eventually Xander was able to get another job. And before his stroke, his job consisted of standing on a stage in front of thousands of people where they would, where they would applaud his every move. But, but now, Xander, he works in a windowless room in the back of a Trader Joe's grocery store. And every day he breaks down boxes and he stacks them. Occasionally when an apple or a pear or some type of produce falls on the ground or becomes bruised and it's no longer able to be sellable, what happens is the employees then take them back to Xander who then takes those pieces of produce to a local homeless shelter. A few years back, Xander wrote this to a friend. He said, it, it's good that I work there. I'm like that fruit. I'm imperfect. Inside, I'm the same person, the same sense of humor, the same thoughts, but, but my words betray me. And what should take three minutes to say is an hour of frustration 
And people lose their impatience with me. My speech disorder means loneliness and isolation, but Xander writes, God hears me. God knows. My world is small and quiet and slow and simple. No stage, no performance, more real, a lot of waiting. It's good. When your world slows down, will you be able to say that God is good? When it feels as if life has just been pulled out from beneath you, can you look back and say, even though I don't feel like it, even though it doesn't look like it, God really can be trusted. And what we're gonna do right now as a church is something that we do week in and week out, and that is take the Lord's Supper. Sometimes we refer to it as communion. And so if you're serving communion, you may go ahead and uh, prepare for that. Now, each week when we do this, it's a, a tangible reminder of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And, and a little bit of the history behind communion is that before Jesus was betrayed and um, murdered and hung upon a cross, he, he got his closest friends together in a room and, and he took some bread and he said, hey, you're not going to understand this right now, but whenever you eat this bread, remember what I'm about to do for you because it's going to represent my body that I'm literally going to give so that you may experience freedom. And, and then he took a glass of wine and he said, hey, th this represents the blood that I'm about to, to pour on your behalf. And, and when my blood is shed tomorrow, it's going to mean that you have forgiveness of sin. And, and so Jesus said, hey, as long as my followers get together, do this. Do th remember what I have done. And, and so it's, also, it's a moment where we not only look back and remember what Christ has done, but it's a moment where we declare that we, that we are going to keep waiting, that we're going to keep going. And you see, when we look at the cross of Jesus, we kind of have a, a perspective shift. The cross of Jesus tells us that we haven't been patiently waiting on God. No, for all these years, God's actually been waiting patiently on us. And in the meantime, he's given us what we need most because it's only through Jesus can we experience freedom. It's only through Jesus that we can experience rest. It's only through the cross that we can actually learn to wait and know that God is good and he gives us exactly what we need. And so we're gonna, we're gonna tangibly remember that by taking communion here in just a moment. And so use this time to reflect, pray, and, and take the, the bread and juice when, when you're ready. And, and we're gonna close out with one more worship song uh, and then we'll be out of here. Before we do that, uh, let me pray for us. God, I don't know what all of us bring in here today, but I do know that a lot of us feel like we're just waiting. It seems as if you're silent. It seems as if you don't care at times, but God, we, we know that that's not true. It's just interesting that the night before Jesus was hung on a cross, he remembered and recalled Psalm chapter six here because in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, my soul is experiencing anguish to the point of death. And so in this moment, we're reminded that in our sorrow, in our grief, in our moments of waiting and impatience, you know exactly how we feel. And you've been there before. And so God, just continue to remind us that you are good and that we can trust you even when it has to be over and over again. Forgive us when we just seem to be so fickle and shallow. We love you. 
and we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen.